Well, we come to a time of intercessionary prayer, and then we will hear God's word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we bring our prayers for your world. Lord, we bring our prayers for your community. Lord, may your hand be upon Breton and this surrounding area. We pray for this church as we witness into this local community. May we be a beacon of light that reflects your love. And Lord, we pray for those in our community who are hurting. Just before the service, uh, I was made aware of a possible suicide attempt on the parkway. Police cars were there and a man was on a bridge. Lord, we do not know how that situation has played out. But Lord, we pray for your protection over that place. Lord, we pray for that person who may be at a stage in life where it's better to finish it than go on. Lord, we pray for a huge portion of your hope to be injected into that person. May they know that you are the God of hope, that your light extinguishes darkness. So come into that situation, we pray. Lord, we pray for our nation. Lord, we seem to have been in turmoil for three years. Families have been split apart over politics. Friendships have been split apart. Different people with different ideas wanting their idea to dominate. Lord, we pray for peace over this nation. Lord, we pray for a coming together. We pray for consensus, cooperation, mutual respect. We pray for an end of different groupings trying to dominate, to force their ideas through. So Lord, we pray into the coming election. We each hold different political ideas. Lord, may we hold those with conviction. but may we also not be closed. May we be open to your will. May we exercise our democratic right, not solely in our own best interests. 
but in the best interests of others, of community, of nations and of the world. Lord, we pray for your hand over the next few weeks. May there be a calmness. May those who are campaigning be protected. And Lord, may they be wise in the words they choose to use. We pray for words of healing. Come into this situation, we pray. Heal our nation. Lord, we pray for our world and the conflict that there is. And especially on this day, we pray for peace. And so we bring all of these prayers in the name of your precious Son, who gave his life that we might live. Amen. And just before I bring God's word, um, we do have a notice. Um, Ladies Christmas Craft Night. Um, Thursday, 28th of November, 7.30 to 9. Uh, Simple crafts to make. Tea, coffee, mulled hot drink, maybe wine. I don't know what your policies are here, but um, in my church it would be mulled wine. Uh, And cake. Uh, There will also be a book swap. So bring a book with you to swap. Um, Basically, just a time of fellowship, lots of chat. And if you want to make some crafts whilst you're doing it, do that. But just come along. That sounds like a great night. So come along, ladies, to um, that time of fellowship. I'm sure it will be a great time for everybody. Well, let me bring God's word to you. This morning we are reading from Isaiah. Let me organise my papers. Isaiah 40, 28 to 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Well, today is 101 years since the end of the First World War. In 1914, my grandfather responded to the call that went out 
to his whole generation. He joined a war. Uh, He signed up. He marched off in the hope that he would be ending a war or fighting a war to end all wars. A war that would bring peace, justice and prosperity to all. In 1918, my grandfather returned home. Victory had been won, but at an enormous price. Hope was almost extinguished. 19 million people were dead. Now, like most of his generation, my grandfather taught little about that war. But let me take you to the late 1960s. I'm a young child, nine, ten years old. Sunday lunch is served, 42 St David's Road, Otley, West Yorkshire. (coughs) Mum, Dad, me, two sisters and Grandad. And the subject of the First World War came up. And on this occasion, Grandad did talk. And he told of an occasion when his platoon went over the top. Now, over the top is the term that they used to use when the soldiers would come out of the trenches, put their head above the parapets, go over the top and try and take enemy ground. They're going to no man's land. The problem with that was First World War was fought very much defensively. And as soon as they went over, the German trenches would have their machine gun posts. Literally, there would be a wave of machine gun fire and thousands of people would be killed. So Grandad told us about that day. We lost good men that night, he said. It was awful. Sergeant Smith couldn't call the roll. Sergeant Smith couldn't call the roll. It's 50 years ago. I remember those words. They're a bit strange. What did he mean? Sergeant Smith couldn't call the roll. Well, a roll call is when a commanding officer calls the name of all those who are under his command. It's a kind of register. And over the years, I've thought about this. I've thought about it at Remembrance. And I understand the poignant tragedy of what my granddad was saying to me. In my community, I said this earlier, in my community, we gather as a community because it's a community that existed in 1914 and sent people away. And we gather as a community at a war memorial. It's really poignant. Before the uh, two-minute silence, names are read out. And I always think, I've got four sons between the ages of 20 and 31. Four sons. If I had lived 100 years earlier, highly statistically probable that one of my sons' names would have been read out. As names are called, they become real. Names carry a family surname, don't they? And that same family gave the first name. 
the Christian name. They are real people. They breathed, they lived, they bled, they died. And as Sergeant Smith's platoon returned from having gone over the top, they were so few in number that the raw pain of the loss of those good men was so traumatic that Sergeant Smith could not call the roll. The words just wouldn't come out. So what was that grief, the loss, the pain? What was it for? What was the point? Well, whether you're a white poppy person or a red poppy person or whatever colour poppy, it does not change what these brave young men were doing. They were serving their country with a hope for a better future. But a hollow victory and a mismanaged peace treaty set the world on a new trajectory. 21 years later, 75 million civilians and soldiers died in the Second World War. We know some of those numbers, 5 million Jews killed in the Holocaust. 25 million Russians lost their lives. 5 million Poles. Less than half a million Americans. Less than half a million British. We had it easy in the Second World War. Tens and tens of millions were killed across the world. But that was not the end, was it? Korea, Vietnam, Falklands, First Gulf War, Afghanistan, Second Gulf War, Syria. And sadly, we know down the line there'll be others. Why do we continue to fail in this? Why are young men and women sent to their slaughter? And why are so many communities and nations across the world ripped apart by this? Well, I think a reason is that we're more easily... As human beings, we've got a sad condition of being human. We are more easily motivated by hate, fear and anger than we are hope and reconciliation. Let me tell you about Lisa. Lisa, a dear, dear friend of mine. She was in her late 90s and I had the sad, but I must also say proud privilege of conducting her funeral earlier this year. Let me take you back to... I'm just going to move this. It's nudging my back. Let me take you back to a cold, cold November night in 1938. 9th of November, to be exact. Lisa was in bed, she was a teenager, and there was a battering at the door. The Hitler Youth came banging on the door, backed up by the SS, backed up by soldiers, and Lisa and all her family were marched out of the house and lined up in the square at Nuremberg, 
Lisa just happened to live in Nuremberg, which was the heart of Nazi Germany. She told me of times when, as a schoolgirl, she was forced to line up just for the um, images that we now see on the Pathy News and others of you know, thousands of people lining up, listening to Hitler. She was lined up in the square in Nuremberg, stood all night, just in her nighty. Soldiers went up and down the lines, picking off people and taking them away. Why? Well, they deserved it. They were Jewish. That was the narrative of the day. Germany, a democratic nation, had become mesmerised by Hitler. And a narrative of fear, anger and hate directed towards Jews and other outsiders who were considered to be a threat to Germany, taking all the jobs and all the other stuff. This hate culminated in the Holocaust and the Second World War. But ordinary people, like you and me, were complicit in it by listening to that narrative of hate, fear and anger until it became normalised. And nobody stood up for what was right. My friend Lisa, she managed to escape Germany. She was one on one of the last kinder transports. Boy, did they have to negotiate hard with the UK to let those trains in. Let me tell you, we weren't heroes in this. She was on one of the last trains out. Mothers would put the toddlers on the train, not knowing where they were going. Lisa, as um, as an older teenager, had to be mum, look after these kids, of course, after about half an hour, they'd all mess themselves. They'd wet themselves. And eventually they arrived in England. I've had lots of talks with Lisa. Spent hours with her. In many ways, selfishly, because I just love history. I hate what was going on, but I love it. And I just sat at the foot of this woman, listening to her story. I could go on. I'm not I'm the time to tell you more of her stories. But what was her big memory, do you think, of Kristallnacht? Her big memory. Not the cold, not the fear but the twitching of the curtains. As families in the apartments around the square would just lift what's going on out there. They just looked. Words of Lisa. They just looked. Nobody helped. A shivering, frightened teenage girl stood in the square, but nobody brought out even a blanket or a shawl. They wouldn't have been rifle-butted if they had. They were Germans, not Jews. No one would have been rifle-butted if they brought out a shawl or a blanket. 
that that didn't happen? Could you have done that? Could you have done that? Well, ordinary German people just like me and just like you could because they'd bought into a narrative against the outsider, against the other. They'd bought into a narrative about keeping the fatherland pure and they'd become blind to the humanitarian tragedy and injustice playing out before their eyes. Would we be any different? Would we? Perhaps we're buying into similar narratives that end up with 39 people dying in the back of a freezer container on the outskirts of London in 19, in, sorry, in 2019. So what's the answer? <clears throat> can blame the politicians or we can recognise that we are part of a solution. And it's my hope that Remembrance Day can point us in the right direction. And I want us to remember three things today. Firstly, let us remember those men and women who gave their lives with honour, wanting a better world, wanting a better future. So remember them. Secondly, let us remember that narratives of hate, fear and anger directed at those who are different, those who we've decided do not belong, leads to a cancer in society that destroys society and will lead to heartbreak and conflict. Let's remember that we can be the antidote to that, working towards a better future. A better future not built in isolation behind walls, but a better future built in community, in cooperation, in mutual respect. And we should engage with the ballot box. As Christians, we should engage with the ballot box. And I anticipate in this room we'll all vote differently, in different ways. But we should engage with the ballot box with integrity, working for a better future. Not voting for our best personal interests. Not voting for our best personal interests. Not even just the best interests of our nation, but in the best interests of our world for which we as Christians have been given the responsibility to be God's ambassadors and God's stewards. And thirdly, third point, it's my main point, so I'm going to go on a bit with it. Let us remember that Christians can offer a better narrative for society, putting aside fear, hate and anger and replacing it with hope. Today of all days, we should remember what Christ did for us. Jesus Christ, the source of all hope. We can look forward with hope because of the sacrificial death 2,000 years ago of Jesus Christ. 
a sacrifice that is the heart of our shared Christian faith. So let's remember and let's celebrate what springs up, what hope comes from that sacrifice. When all around us is dark, when the world is on a trajectory towards destruction, we can look to Jesus Christ, who is the perfect image bearer of God. Jesus Christ, who was with God, who is God, came down to earth to show us a better way. Born to a teenage mother, she was displaced. She was, to all intents and purposes, a refugee, going elsewhere on the donkey because she was sent somewhere else. But there was no room for her. She was an outsider. He was born an outsider, dispossessed in an occupied land. But despite that humble start, Jesus was the most amazing person ever. Funny, intelligent, witty, brave, kind, courageous, caring. And as the perfect image bearer, Jesus Christ shows us what God is like. But people didn't like the way Jesus was. They didn't like the way he challenged their motives and attitudes. And so Jesus was betrayed, beaten up, killed, nailed to a cross. But in reality, we all know, don't we, that was an act of self-sacrifice. Jesus knew what was going to happen to him. John's Gospel says he set his face at Jerusalem. He knew where he was going. He knew his destiny. He never flinched from it. And he was nailed to a cross. I wonder how that speaks into the life of people like Lisa. She stands in the square. Does God know what it's like? He does. God knows. He came to show us what he was like. He came to teach us to love us. And we took him to the place of execution. A place of filth, mess, excrement, hate, fear. And we nailed him to a cross. The creator of the universe nailed to a cross. For three hours... Darkness came over that barbaric scene until Christ breathed his last. His friends then took the body away. They placed it in a tomb. They rolled a big stone over the entrance. Christ was dead. But good news, good news, thank God. You can't kill God. Good news, hallelujah. 
You can't kill God. And three days after the crucifixion, we have the resurrection and Mary, bless her, Mary goes down to the tomb to wash the body. And there she meets the risen Lord. She races back to the other disciples. She says, I've seen him. Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. We want to respond, don't we? Hallelujah. Jesus is alive. He met with his friends again, who must have remembered all those words he had said that begin now to take shape, that begin to make sense. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. I am the way, the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. I am the resurrection and the life. That's what he said before he died. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. What a message of hope we have there. And it's a message that the world needs to remember. Much more important than any message you might get in a manifesto. It's a message to share. It's a message that we need to nurture in our own hearts. So on this day of remembering the sacrifice and death of millions, let us remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that points to a better way. A sacrifice that removes all barriers between us and God. The way is open. The curtain is ripped in two. No more religious barriers and most important of all, no barrier of sin exists between us and God. We are welcomed in. When Christ died, he delivered sin to death. That's what he did. That's what he did, that he delivered it to death. He took it to a place of no return. That's what Christ does with our sin. And he says to me, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I'll take it off you. Bring your sin to me and I will deliver it to a place of no return. Come to me, give me your sin. Turn from sin, live a better way. Now you, you, you have a different option if you want it. You can take it there yourself. But for me, I'm going to let Jesus take it. He's offered to make that journey for me. We can come out of the shadows into God's true light. Nothing is the same. Everything has changed. And we have a most amazing gift, hope. It's a hope that Isaiah looked forward to, which I read earlier. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. It's a hope that Paul echoes Romans chapter 15. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's remember today that hope. 
And my, all, my hope for all my brothers and sisters here at Breton Baptist Church is that you will receive that hope and that hope will equip you to live in such a way that the whole of Peterborough will be able to see that you have got that hope. In this dark world, there is a beautiful light to walk in. There is hope. It's a hope that permanently lifts you, that walks with you every day. It's a hope that equips you with an alternative way to live. Now, Christian hope isn't about denying the challenges of life today. Christian hope is not pretending life is easy when it's not. Christian hope is not recognising that we are under attack. Christian hope is not ignoring the fact that we all face disappointments. But Christian hope is knowing that you are part of a greater purpose, that the creator of the universe has invited you, you, into his eternal family. Christian hope is knowing that God on the cross knows our suffering and loss and pain. Christian hope is knowing that when you find yourselves in the gutter, God walks there with you and he's always ready to give you a leg out when you're ready to receive it. Christian hope is knowing that when Christ was raised from the dead, the world was set on a new trajectory of victory over darkness. There is a brighter future. Christian hope is knowing that God's love has been poured into your heart when the Holy Spirit was released in Christ's name. Christian hope builds endurance, perseverance, purpose, character that equips you to survive no matter what this world throws at you. Christian hope is for now. It is a reality, not an emotion. It is the reality of living with Christ in the midst of now, even in the midst of present suffering, whilst looking forward to a glorious, vibrant, exciting, confident future. This hope comes through faith and a heartfelt response to the call of Christ, who invites each and every person here into an eternal, personal relationship with him. My question for you this morning is this. Do you have it? Do you have hope? You know you should say yes. Yeah, yeah, Nadia, Christians have hope, I've got hope. But come on, do you have it? Do you really have it? Not as some kind of warm feeling, but as a foundation, as a rock on which you can face life, on which you can face the future with confidence. Do you have it? If you do, it will transform you. Things that you used to think are important. Money, not important. Do you have hope? You know you should. Do you have it? Because you need it. Well, let me put it another way that might be a bit easier. Would you like more? Would you like more 
hope. If you would, then look to the cross. Understand what Christ did for you when the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Accept him as your Lord and Saviour. Receive the hope he offers. Then embrace it, claim it, live it. It's a way of living, not just a feeling. And when you do that, your relationship with God goes deeper. Your faith grows. Your hope grows. Your relationship with God goes deeper. Your faith grows. Your hope grows. Your relationship with God goes deeper. Your faith grows. Your hope grows. It's a circle, isn't it? But actually, it's not a circle. It's a spiral. It goes up. Your relationship with God goes deeper. Your faith grows. Your hope grows. Your relationship with God goes deeper. Your faith grows. Your hope grows. We spiral upwards towards God on our journey of discipleship. And when that is happening, it will be expressed in the way you live. It will be expressed in your attitudes. It will be expressed in the way you love. In the way you love God in the way you love other people, and most important of all, the way you love yourself. You find hope in your faith and having the faith to live with hope. You find hope in your faith and having the faith to live with hope. Christian hope is a reality, not a mask. It equips you to be a real. It allows your faith to be a real. Allow this hope to change you as you become more like Jesus, our King. And as it changes you, it will change this church. It will change this community. It will change Peterborough. It will change society. It will change the world until his kingdom comes, until his kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven but it begins with a change in your heart. Receive it, claim it, live it. Amen.